Hello, and welcome to the Leaders Edge podcast. I'm Sandy Laycox, Editor-in-Chief of Leaders Edge. This episode is a continuation of my conversation with AXA XL's Maria Duhart, Head of the Commercial Bonds, Political Risk, and Credit and Bond Practice, and Stuart Barrowcliffe, Vice President and Senior Underwriter of AXA XL's Political Risk, Credit and Bond Team in the Americas. Here, we turn to COVID-19 and the effects on the political risk and commercial bond markets. And we talk about Excel's work in sustainability and climate change. Give it a listen. For both of you, and we can start with Maria and then and move to Stuart, COVID-19 has had multiple effects on business, um, supply chain, labor. We're still seeing a lot of that. Uh, can you run through some of the issues that you've been working on, and you've sort of talked about this a little bit already, just in terms of COVID-19 and those effects? Yeah, sure. You know, when COVID hit and our customers had to, you know, shift the way that they worked, um, we stayed really close to them and had a lot of calls and then saw some common themes, right? So first of all was protecting the employees and the workforce um, and while still being able to operate and achieve productivity. So, um, you know, a lot of the the workers that were on sites and with boots on the ground, you know, uh, working, um, you know, these companies, companies had to apply social distancing, right, um, and take additional protective measures. Um, and then public health and workplace um, policies, you know, continue to evolve. Um, and they utilize a lot of the guidance from the World Health Organization and the centers of, you know, disease control and prevention. So what we were able to, to help our, our customers with, you know, tied to that is um, they have to post, you know, workers' compensation and um, guarantees to the state um, that guarantee that they're going to make any payments of claims within their retention. Um, so we were able to offer capacity to them on a, as a surety bond, um, you know, so they could sometimes replace, you know, a letter of credit that they were utilize, utilizing with a bond and it frees up capacity on their line of credit. So that goes to a second common theme that we saw during the crisis, which was like liquidity is king, right? So they were all looking to maintain liquidity improve their working capital management. Um, and so we helped our customers, you know, to um, release some of the funds that they were using for letters of credit and allow them to use them for other uh, general corporate uh, purposes. We talked a bit about supply chains, right? There were quite a few disruptions, you know, as materials weren't coming in from abroad. Um, so they had to shift, you know, suppliers from abroad into, you know, either, you know, the Americas, the US, Canada. Um, and while they were doing that, you know, the way that our product you know, also helped was by guaranteeing, you know, those supply contracts as well. All right, Stuart, what about from your from your viewpoint? Well, yeah, there's been tremendous impact, of course. Um, you know, we 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 work a lot on political risk, but there's also credit risk that, that that plays into it. So, if you think about the impact of the pandemic on on economies in general, you know, we saw severe um, and severe impact here in the U.S. as well as across the developing world, slowdown in growth, um, you know, shutting down of the economies, and so. One of the things that we saw there was uh, some of the customers that we work with, some of the uh, multilateral institutions coming in to try to counteract that 
and, and provide them with, let's call it COVID response finance facilities. And so we were able to, uh, you know, help uh, support that. And, um, and there was a lot of that through the course of, of 2020. Um, you know, we saw, uh, you know, obviously a downturn in, in airline and uh, in the travel industry, in, um, you know, in the cruise lines and the airlines. And one of the things that we do here is we do support the, uh, the, the financing for acquisition of these, of these um, um, assets, airplanes and, and, and ships. So, you know, we are forced to, you know, take a look at our, our analytical approach there and, uh, you know, understand, you know, how we needed to react. And of course, we became more selective, but we continued to support, you know, key customers. But clearly, those industries were knocked pretty much flat on their back, um, but they are recovering and they will recover. Um, in the project financing area, uh, you know, talking about renewables, I mean, we ran into uh, slowdowns in projects that were caused by the, um, the difficulty of labor accessing, you know, construction sites and also breakdowns in supply chains and the inability to ship um, equipment and machinery and, and, and let people travel back and forth to help these projects move, uh, move ahead. So uh, we were able to accommodate the, the delays and um, most of the stakeholders in these projects were able to do that. So um, that was very positive, but there were you know, significant delays in, in many of the projects that we support around the world. Um, I think you know you're seeing obviously you see the supply chain disruption and and you're and you see that resulting in um, you know what has been called nearshoring or potentially bringing manufacturing um, assets and capabilities closer to the U.S. instead of having things manufactured or having a manufacturing base in China or in Southeast Asia, looking looking at Mexico. So you're bringing it nearer in. So that clearly that's a disruption in some of the other economies, but you know, direct investment opportunities uh, will come out of that. Um, I would say, you know, just from an analytical perspective, you know, our approach has been, um, well, we have to become more sophisticated and make sure we now look at, you know, how countries and companies uh, have managed themselves through through COVID and take a look at how well they're set up to react to a potential, you know, similar event, you know, going down the, going down the line. Um, you know, it's interesting, you mentioned nearshoring and earlier we talked about, um, you know, sort of the decline in globalization and the, and the nationalist tendencies of different countries. So it's interesting to see how those two sort of the supply chain needs as well as the sort of political and cultural mindset of many countries is kind of really pushing things closer to home in many ways. Um, and that's just, it's, it's, it's an interesting trend that's sort of coming out of this conversation. Yeah, no, there's, there's a lot of work being done to bolster and, you know, make the supply chains, I guess, more resilient. Uh, you know, the pandemic uh, was a, a great laboratory. It was a lot negative in many ways, but a great laboratory just to really see where the weaknesses were and kind of pinpoint perhaps a better way to, uh, you know, to do things um, just from, a, you know, a security perspective in terms of your supply chains. Absolutely. And before we leave the, this topic of COVID-19 effects, can you, Stuart, and then we'll go to Maria, do you have any sense of how long some of these 
effects might last, whether they be sort of forever changes or just temporary ones? I think a lot of the changes will be, you know, fairly, let's say, long lasting, maybe permanent, but um, I mean, certainly we're talking about supply chains and nearshoring. Uh, that's not the kind of thing that changes really overnight. So as the shift occurs and, and uh, you know, new supply chains are built, that's, that's there for the, the, the longer term. Um, if we look at, um, if you look at the effects on, let's say, on, on air travel, which is, you know, it's a very important industry because it's all wound up in, you know, in leisure and travel and, you know, hotels, and it just it affects a lot of other economic sectors. Um, that, that will recover. It will take a long time for it to get back to the way it was, and maybe it won't get back to the way it was with, you know, so many, maybe it'll be less business travel as companies take a look at, you know, let's say the success of remote working and decide that, well, maybe we can travel a little bit less and still get the same amount done. So, you know, it, it, it will take a while for that to recover. Um, it is recovering, um, particularly well in the U.S., um, you know, not quite as strongly or robustly yet in, um, you know, in Europe, but I expect that, you know, it, the, the trend is certainly, is certainly upwards. Um, just back on the supply chain nearshoring concept, you know, potentially, you know, that will lead, could lead to political risk events, um, depending on, you know, how the countries that are losing this manufacturing react um, to, to companies pulling up stakes and, and, and taking off, you know, there could be reactions to that uh, to, to prevent that, um, which would be actually a good example of the type of, uh, of, um, of risk that we could potentially cover. If they were to, you know, deauthorize or pull certifications, pull licenses, um, that could ultimately become a, a covered risk in, in our market. But, but like I said, I mean, as foreign direct investment grows, uh, you know, through nearshoring, we should see opportunities, and I think we will see opportunities to to support, um, you know, our, our customers that are investing there. Maria, anything you want to add um, from, from your perspective yeah. on that? Sure. I mean, in terms of the impacts of COVID-19 and whether they'll be long lasting, you know, a lot of um, actions taken in the U.S. Um, have been, you know, to provide relief on the short term, but will also have, have some long lasting effects. Um, as an example, the Biden administration, you know, stated that it is really focusing on curbing the um, economic effects of the pandemic. And they've, you know, passed some legislative relief packages, right? So um, in 20, February of 2021, um, they voted for the American Rescue Plan, and the plan targets uh, COVID-19 issues, and they allocate funding that can be used for several purposes, including some infrastructure investments and new energy projects, right? Um, so about $130 billion is allocated to K-12 schools, um, and some of which will be applied to making, you know, physical improvements, and also $350 billion are um, uh, allocated to emergency assistance, you know, state, local, and um, uh, municipal governments. 
and those could also be utilized for new infrastructure projects. So that has helped really, uh, you know, um, get the economy back to a place, you know, where it was before COVID-19. Um, also, of you know, great significance for us is the, the fact that there is um, funding also being proposed for um, the Build Back Better recovery plan, right? So in those areas that are hardly hit by uh, local, you know, um, uh, disasters such as, you know, like uh, natural disasters such as hurricanes, you know, earthquakes, um, wildfires, right? How can we, you know, utilize funds to uh, improve that that construction, um, you know, how can our customers help, you know, rebuild those areas so that they're more resilient to those natural disasters, right? Um, so some, you know, elements of that plan include, you know, incentivizing manufacturers, researchers, and, and developers to, you know, make sure that they can rebuild those areas better. And then also mobilizing resources to, you know, build modern and sustainable infrastructure, including in roads, bridges, energy grids, schools, and universal broadband. Um, there's an initiative that was supported by one of our industry organizations, which is um, uh, you know, more investment in rural infrastructure broadband, uh, given that more people are working from home, more schools need, you know, broadband access um, to be able to, you know, um, study and, and work virtually, basically. So part of, you know, that, in, um, uh, that investment will be in broadband infrastructure as well. So that is a great segue into our next topic, which, because you both have sort of touched on the opportunities um, of new, new, new potential projects um, coming out of this. So I, I'd love to hear about some creative solutions that you all have been working on to address the changing marketplace, the changing risk that you're seeing. Um, Maria, let's start with you. Yeah, thanks, Sandy. So we talked a bit about replacing, you know, letters of credit with bonds to help our customers free up capacity so that they can utilize that liquidity um, to, you know, run their business, right? Uh, we also have a new product that we launched recently that's called bank fronting. So in some instances where the beneficiary only accepts a letter of credit, we set up a facility with our customer where they utilize the their surety bonding capacity. Um, and we have, um, you know, relationships with different banks that can front, you know, that uh, letter of credit directly with the beneficiary. But at the end of the day, our customer is not utilizing their line of credit or their, um, you know, uh, facility. They're actually using their surety bonding capacity. So that has, um, you know, allowed them to increase uh, liquidity and be able to utilize it for other purposes. Uh, we also have partnered with our, uh, you know, casualty team and excess casualty um, to help our customers where they need, you know, um, collateral for specific, uh, you know, high deductible or retro policies where they can post that collateral in a bond. Um, so we definitely, you know, partner with our customers to cross sell and to find the best solution together uh, for them. So those are just some areas where we help. Helped, you know, free up liquidity. Stuart, what about you? 
Yeah, kind of some some similarity to what uh, Maria was saying. Um, you know, we are uh, looking at the potential to cover, um, you know, green or let's say blue bonds issued by uh, developing markets, by governments, or by or, or by projects abroad. And we we've seen and and supported a couple of those um, opportunities to uh, support bonds that will also have provide funding for. Um, you know SMEs for minority um, minorities in in those countries, um, and then you know one of the ways that we we uh, innovate is really to you know stay close to the to the customer so that we can apply our analytics and you know risk management knowledge to supporting the investments in new sectors. Um, Maria mentioned battery storage, which is really a game changer in the renewable side. Um, another thing that I don't think we've really touched on is uh, digital infrastructure um, and that and that's that's a new area that's an area that's become uh, much easier to invest in as as the uh, you know the lenders and the and the investors have gotten more comfortable with the way that works um, we've seen that and supported it here in the us as well as in um, as well as in Latin America so uh, one of the other things that we do is we look at ways that we can bring other axa XL insurance, products into some of the projects that we that we support. Um, one that comes to mind is our ability to issue um, not pandemic risk insurance, but parametric parametric insurance, which is kind of an interesting twist on, um, let's say, climate or crop insurance. It's a little bit different, but where where uh, projects are exposed to potentially, you know, how how long or how hot the sun shines or how much the wind blows or how high the water flows are. Well, that all feeds into you know hydro or solar or wind projects, and so we we work with our uh, our colleagues in uh, in the parametric side to try to fold them into the projects that we work on, um, as well as bringing in um, our ability to ensure uh, new technologies, new energy technologies, um, and that could be you know biomass. I know it, I know they're involved in in, in uh, battery storage. So those are those are some of the uh, sort of the new areas that we're that we're working in. You know, parametrics are discussed a lot in terms of being able to help um, bite off small pieces of really big risk. Um, the pandemic is one that's sort of been thrown around in that way. Um, are you guys seeing a lot of take up of these or or use for for parametrics in this way? I'm not sure. I've seen. I'm not sure I've seen it be used, you know, directly for pandemics. What I've seen is, you know, greater activity of, you know, parametric insurance supporting, um, you know, we're work, we're working on a on a blue project on a on a marine conservation project, which is also going to have pan, parametric insurance as as part of its its risk mitigation um, risk management strategy, such that, you know, if there is an event. You know, typically it's it's more like a business interruption. Parametric tends to be more like business interruption. So, you know, if there's an event that would, you know, let's say prohibit or prohibit the project from, you know, making, let's say, scheduled debt payments. So then you would be able to call on parametric insurance and that would bridge the project for six to 12 months. So it's actually a very interesting, um, you know, addition to some of these uh, some of these transactions uh, that that do face that kind of business interruption from natural natural events, and it's an insurance that responds very very quickly. So it 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 does 
it does actually help in the event that you need to make, let's say, a debt payment. It doesn't take forever to receive the, the claim payment. Absolutely. All right, so you guys have both discussed um, a lot of work around renewable energy, um, sustainability, those types of things. I'd love to hear your thoughts on um, AXA XL as a company has a strong commitment to focusing on sustainability, mitigating the risks of climate change. Um, would you guys discuss some of this work for us and, and, and how the work that you're doing plays into that sort of larger goal of the company? Stuart, let's start with you. Yeah, I, I think big picture. I mean, the fact that you know AXA Group is so supportive and involved in in you know in the climate um, you know initiatives around the world, that gives us you know a, a great amount of credibility and support to really uh, you know jump in and and look at things like supporting green bonds and, and and blue bonds, and that's you know that's something that we're actively trying to trying to develop. Um, you know. Obviously, we're also implementing the, the strategy that they're that they're putting out in terms of moving away from, you know, coal and moving away from, uh, you know, the, the ultimately from the tar sands and what have you. Um, and that kind of directs our activity in, in other in other areas. Um, but I think that's that's kind of where we we fit into the overall the overall picture, which really dovetails with what they with what they are, are doing. Maria, anything to add? Yeah, and also, you know, insurance companies have a lot of good data, right, to be able to identify areas that are that could be highly, you know, hit by hurricanes, floods, earthquakes. So it's really utilizing that data um, to help our customers to know where to rebuild or how to rebuild, right? So, um, so it's not just we talked a bit about building back better. So once you know a natural disaster hits, how you can improve, you know, that construction, but it's also looking at building building back before, right? So how can we do it better before um, a natural disaster, you know, impacts a certain area? So what incentives should, you know, um, you know, specific governments put in order to allow people to make those improvements in their homes that are going to allow them to uh, to resist those natural disasters. So, you know, some things that XXL has been talking about is, you know, maybe reduced premiums for those homeowners, you know, if you're improving your property. It could be also tax incentives, you know, if you do those improvements or even reduced interest rates in mortgages if you make improvements to resist disasters or if you're actually, you know, building something new in an area that's less prone to floods or, or hurricanes. So, you know, in our case, when we look at home building and when we support our customers with bonds, you know, either performance or subdivision, um, you know, we also look at that. Are they in areas that are, you know, prone to natural disasters or how are they building so that the actual end user um, feels secure and it's, a, you know, it's a construction that's resilient to whatever natural disasters, you know, could uh, impact that specific area. Okay, so before we sign off, um, one last question for you both. It's obviously been um, an interesting time for all of us post COVID. What are you What are you looking at? Um, what are you looking at ahead? What are you thinking about most um, as you look as you look beyond the pandemic for the next couple of years, Stuart? Let's hear from you. 
Well, I have to say, I, I look forward to actually being able to connect in person with the, the clients and, and, and the brokers after 15, 16 months of, of, of doing video conferences. Um, looking forward to taking advantage of also the efficiencies that we've that we've developed and we've learned about, you know, doing this type of uh, you know smart working. So I think it'll be um, I think it'll be very interesting to have that flexibility to be able to do this as well as um, as well as to meet in person. Um, and then you know I'm looking forward to let's say the recoveries in some of the key areas of that we that we do business in. Um, we see it coming back, but it's deciding really exciting to see you know recoveries in a number of number of industries. Um, and then you know continuing to uh, you know build out on on uh, the uh, you know the partnerships with the customers. I mean ultimately that's really what kind of drives you know the innovation. Um, understanding what they need and you know allows us to remain relevant to them. Maria, how about you? Yeah, same here. I'm excited to be able to start going out and meeting you know brokers, customers in person, and also attending industry events. And really, we've learned a different way of working. So let's take the best out of what we've learned, and then uh, you know continue that. Um, but also, you know, I'm looking forward to um, you know seeing some of those industries that have been hardly hit um, by COVID to recover. Right. So we saw that kind of K recovery K, um, curve where you know some industries shut up right away, but others are still you know struggling or still um, won't be able to recover until the next two years or so. So seeing how governments and how you know insurance industry and other financial services can support those specific industry segments, you know, to continue recovering, um, and also what um, skills you know will the um, employee of the future need. Uh, it's changing, it's um, evolving. Uh, we're going to see a lot more of, you know, environmentally, you know, savvy people coming in, like looking more at how do we achieve that net zero carbon. And we all play a part in that. Um, so I think that will be uh, interesting to see as well. Well, thank you both uh, for sharing this time with me. It's been really interesting um, and fascinating hearing about all the work that you're doing. I really enjoyed it, and I hope that we get to chat again. Thank you, Sandy. Thanks. Our pleasure to be here. Thanks, Sandy. Enjoyed it as well. Thanks. Bye. This wraps up our first in a series of conversations with AXAXL. Look for the next one at leadersedge.com, along with all of our podcasts, also now on Spotify and Apple Podcasts.